Well, hey, good morning again, Emmaus. Uh, so thankful to be able to connect like this through live stream. I know we look forward to being together on, on Sunday mornings, but we're thankful for the way we're able to incorporate different videos as, as part of our live stream. If you have not watched or have not had a chance to see the video that we did on Tuesday morning as part of our 11.30 daily Facebook Live, on Tuesday morning, uh, we had one of our ministry partners, uh, Fashid, with us, and he shared some about his testimony and how the Lord has been at work in his life and ministry opportunities that he has right now. And so I would encourage you to go back and, and see on our Facebook page on Tuesday that, that interview I had a chance to do with Fashid. But I've also got him with us this morning to talk a little bit because this past week began the season of Ramadan for Muslims. And Fashid comes from a Muslim background. And so I've asked him to share with us, Fashid, just tell us a little bit, what is Ramadan? And then on top of that, why is it so important to someone from a Muslim background, someone who's Muslim? How does that work? I mean, uh, month of Ramadan is, uh, first of all, good morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hi to everyone. <laughs> yeah, month of Ramadan is the uh, ninth month of the uh, Muslims' uh, calendar. And it's the month that they believe that uh, God, Allah, has given a uh, Quran to Muhammad, the Prophet. And he received the Quran in month of Ramadan. So uh, they fast and they pray. And uh, according to the teachings, they should uh, they should uh, be more focused on what God has for them. And there are a lot of uh, you know in in Shia background that I have come from. We have uh, hadith and we have. Uh, Rabayat, which is the, the words of the uh, leaders, the imams that God sent for the disciples the, the nation. So there is a lot of words about Ramadan, and, and they believe that Ramadan is a very holy month. So they fast from uh, uh, sunrise till sunset. So during the day, a Muslim person would not eat or drink. And uh, in some teachings, they should not even smoke. Nothing should change the taste of their mouth. So it's, it's very important for them. And during these times, they should uh, focus more in reading Quran. Uh, the eighth Imam, there's a word from him, uh, and there's a Rawaya from uh, eighth Imam that says, whoever reads the Quran during this month, uh, would uh, his good words would be more accepted and his bad works would be forgiven i mean one of the greatest questions is for them if you live this life today what's going to happen to you yeah that's really helpful so i mean that's a question we we all want to ask ourselves uh and and how we would answer that obviously is going to be different than how how would a muslim person answer that question that if you leave this life, what would happen to you? What What's the general Muslim answer to that, Fashid? They don't have an answer for it. They're gonna say, I don't know. It's grace of God. It depends on my good works and bad works and gonna be in castles. And uh, God gonna see which one I have done better. I have done good works better or bad works. Which one? 
So it would determine if I'm going to hell or if I'm going to heaven. And that's a moment, obviously, we can step in and, and share the good and news of Jesus that. right there. And yeah. into that. There's nothing yeah. we can do to cover our sins. Yeah. No, that's, that's, really, that's really helpful, Fashid. Uh, as much as you can, as much as it would be appropriate and, and you would be able to, can you tell us a little bit about what you see the Lord Jesus doing around the world uh, among Muslim people? Maybe things even that your interactions you've had locally or online. What do you, what do you see? What do you perceive right now, Fashid, about how the Lord is at work in those ways? He's in work. We are in quarantine. He is in work. He's doing wonderful thing in 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 world. And you know, I have come from Iran, and the fastest uh, growing yeah. underground church is in Iran. I mean, people are coming. People are thirsty, and people they want they want to know the truth. Yeah. And the only truth we can find in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So he's leading them to himself. He's revealing his truth and his salvation among the Muslim people. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. Any, uh, as we wrap up uh, this conversation this morning, and like I said earlier, Mayus, there's so much more you can see on that Tuesday morning video that we did, but for she, anything as we wrap up, just ways that you would encourage the church to be praying right now uh, as, we, as we enter this time of this holy month for, for Muslims, mm -hmm. Ramadan, how would you encourage us to pray, Rashid? I mean, just pray for Lord to uh, give them dreams and give them uh, signs in their lives. You know, I always ask my, my dear Muslim friends, you know, pray, pray truly to him. Ask Lord to reveal himself, the truth of himself to you. Yeah. Because I, can, I, can, I come from that background, you know, and then I let, I let go everything everything in my life and I focus on God then he revealed himself to me same thing with any Muslim person Please pray for them that Lord will reveal himself to them and show them in dreams and signs so they will be safe too and Emmaus one last thing as we wrap up this video if you have Muslim friends neighbors co-workers people you're having conversations with and you would like to connect with Fashid and, and talk to him about that he would be more than uh, more than open to that, and so we'll help you. We'll help you connect with him. And one thing I appreciate so much about Fashid is not only what he has to say, the truth of it, but how he says it. Uh, his his love for uh, for people from all backgrounds, and and that's been a huge encouragement to me. So, Amaius, we're going to get back to our worship service this morning. But thanks again, Fashid, for being part uh, of this with Thank us. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Best things be with you. Wow, that's great. Farshid has been such a, a blessing to us on staff, and I know many of you in our church, and we watch a video like that, and we quickly think of places and people that are hard to reach. And I, I think we all understand what that means, but there's the potential that we start thinking that some people and places, they're easier to reach, easier to reach with the gospel. Let's remember the miracle it took in our hearts for us to put our hope in Jesus and so as we sing this song, Be Thou My Vision, let's pray that God would give us a vision of how amazing the gospel is, the work it does in our hearts, and the work it can do in all people, and for God to give us eyes and ears to see that. So let's, let's sing about this this morning, and let's ask God to give us a vision of what's true of this world.
vision to hear your words of life for us this morning, that we might be changed and transformed to live in such a way that the world sees you in us, Lord, this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Emmaus. We are the Smiths. 
I'm Jonathan, and this is Luna. And I'm Brianna, and this is Ray. We want to thank you for your continued support and generosity through giving. Your offerings allow us to help many people during this time of need. You can give online at Emmaus' website, or you can mail a check into the church office. And I want to say hello to our young married Sunday school class. We miss you guys, and we can't wait to hang out with you in person again. Amaze family, we love you all and hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Bye. Bye. Good morning, Emmaus. It's Miss Courtney here. Um, and you're probably wondering why in the world I have a hard hat and a safety vest on. And that's because I have an exciting announcement for you um, this morning. We have scheduled a new VBS date um, for this summer. So I want you to get out your pencil. I want you to get out your calendar. And I want you to mark down July 27th through 31st. Um, we are planning all the fun. Um, but most importantly, we are planning for a week that we can celebrate that the firm found foundation that God gives us is a life that can be built in Him, in love, in worth, in forgiveness, um, and most importantly, it's a life that we can celebrate together. Um, and so we want you to be a part of it. If you have not already jumped on board and you're willing to volunteer, um, send me an email. We'll get you plugged in. Um, if you're already on board, you'll hear from me soon. We'll get you all rescheduled away. Um, but we are looking forward to July 27th to 31st this summer. Um, VBS is coming back at you, Emmaus, and we cannot wait to be a part of it. See you later. Bye. All right, good morning, Emmaus. Well, kids, take your Bible and open to Philippians chapter two. I know you're excited to hear from Miss Courtney about the new vacation Bible school date, and we're gonna tell you more about that. We've got more details coming in coming weeks and throughout the summer, but we wanted you to have that this morning. So right now, we're gonna look at Philippians chapter two as we think about what it is to understand who God is and how he's the foundation for our lives, like Miss Courtney said. As we've seen about this morning, we're gonna have a chance to look in God's word about that in Philippians chapter two. I also, along with what Miss Courtney said there about Vacation Bible School, I want to let you know that this afternoon, you're going to be receiving an update about what things will look like in coming weeks. We put a lot of time, a lot of prayer into this. We've gone back and forth. Do we give you a lot of information right now? Do we just give you a little bit and we work at it? We're going to put a lot of information in front of you this afternoon. You're going to receive an email as part of Emmaus. We'll also link to this information on our website and through our Facebook page. But just to give you a heads up, you're going to get four different pages, four different pieces of information from us this afternoon. I know that's a lot to wade through, but hopefully we can give it to you in a way that is easy to understand and, and it'll come across. Page number one is just us asking for your patience and, and your understanding. What we're in the middle of right now is so similar to a mission trip. The key words for any mission trip, is, as Pastor Jim would tell you, are flexibility and teamwork. Right now, Emmaus, we need flexibility and we need teamwork. And so page one that we're going to send you is just us saying, hey, we need that from you and this is what we've done to reach this point. Page two will give you a lot of those plans and dates and details for the next several weeks coming, going forward. And so you'll be able to look at that. Page three, we kind of section three, we deal with some questions you might have 
why are we doing this but not this? We'll, we'll talk through some of those things. And then on, on the fourth page, traditionally at Emmaus, we take the month of May and we play off of that word and we call it E-May-Us. So as a church, as Emmaus, during the month of May, we're rallying together about what it means to be a church and what God is leading us to do. And we're going to take that very seriously this year as we always do, but we're not going to waste the month of May. We believe that God is calling us to prayer. We believe that God is calling us to an opportunity where we experience the power of his spirit in a, in a very unique way. There's a lot of uncertainty, obviously, about what the month of May will look like in our state, and our world. What does that look like in our church? And we want you to know, as much as we hate everything that's going on in terms of circumstances and not being able to be together, we are excited about what God is doing. So we're going to move into May, not in fear but in excitement, in anticipation of, God, what do you want to do in our church? What do you want to do in our lives? And so we're going to send you that information that you'll be, you'll be aware of. But right now, I believe that God has put us this morning in Philippians chapter 2 on purpose. We had this passage planned out in advance as part of this Who is God sermon series. But I hope you see this morning, Emmaus, as we study this scripture, why it's so important that God has put us here at this time. Let me read for you Philippians chapter 2. A famous section here, verses 5 through 11. Here's what God's word says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Let's pray together for just a moment. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would speak from your word. That your purpose for having our church in this passage this morning would become clear. God, that people who are watching this morning who are maybe having questions about their own spiritual life, their own belief in you, what it means to, to be a Christian, God, people who are watching this morning and maybe dealing with a lot of pain and uncertainty in their life or their family, God, I pray that it would not be anything I would say, any challenges I might present during this time, but God, it would be from you, by the power of your spirit, through your word, God, that you would point us to Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as Fashid and I were talking about earlier, this being this time of Ramadan, the season of Ramadan, it made me think about the fact that a few years ago when my family was living on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, so we spent several years living in New Orleans, and I know you get tired of me talking about that, I talk about it all the time, but we, we lived in New Orleans, and then there was also a period of time that we lived on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, and one year... During Ramadan, during this season, I went to the local mosque uh, in the city that was right next to where we lived. The, this city where the mosque was located was Gulfport, Mississippi. So I went over to Gulfport during Ramadan to visit a mosque because I wanted to have a chance to form a connection with some of the Muslim men there and be able to have some conversations. And so I went to the mosque during Ramadan 
And when I walked into the mosque, there was a group of young men off to the side who were reading the Quran, and, and they invited me to come over. They were very kind, very hospitable, as almost always is the case in these situations. And, and so I went over, and I spent some time with these guys, and we sat in a circle, and they were reading Quran. And then I looked over to the side, and there was a group of older men off in another circle to the side. And so I asked these guys, these young Muslim guys, I said, what are those guys doing? And, and they said, oh, those guys are reading the Quran as well. And I said, well, why are you not reading together? And they said, oh, those older guys, they're reading in, in Arabic, and we're reading in English. And it just hit me all of a sudden. I was like, oh, my goodness. So you guys deal with generational divides as well. So there's the older people reading their version, their King James Version, singing their hymns. And here's you guys who are younger reading your translation and, and doing your contemporary thing. Even there, in that moment of interacting, seeing this scene of disunity, it made me think about what disunity looks like in our own life. That what does somebody see when they walk into a church? What does somebody see when they walk into their homes? Here's the deal, and I don't need to convince you of this. You know this, but I think it's important that we hear it together this morning. We live in a very divided time. Our country is very divided. But it's not just our country. Many of us live in what could be called divided neighborhoods or divided workplaces, or there may be deep division in your home right now, or there may be deep division in your marriage right now, or you may be dealing with this disunity in your life where you feel like I'm, I'm trying to believe one thing, but I'm living another thing, or do I really want to follow the faith of my parents and my grandparents? What about going over here? We live in a very divided time. And what God is saying to us this morning through his word is I am calling you to unity in the name of Jesus. Whatever disunity you're dealing with, whatever division you're dealing with, division that could show up in our country, that could show up in your neighborhood, that could show up in your home, that shows up in your heart, God is calling us to unity through Jesus Christ. And we need to hear this particularly as a church. Because I believe we're entering into a time where it's going to be very easy for churches to become divided. I am not speaking about anything specific going on in Emmaus. In fact, I feel like we're incredibly unified right now. But sometimes God gives us a word from Scripture to prepare us for something that's coming. And in talking with Pastor Jim about this and other people about this, we are entering into a season where it's going to be very easy for us to set us versus them mentality, for churches to become internally divided because of being separate and having different ideas about how to proceed. And just hear me, Emmaus, whatever you're going through in life, wherever we are as a church, I believe this morning that God is calling us to this passage so we can see what it means to be unified in Christ. Let me show you what I mean. We're gonna, let's go back to verse 1 in, in Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see this picture of unity here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You can see there where Paul is talking uh, about unity, that as followers of Jesus, we don't have to be twins, we don't have to look the same, sound the same, always say exactly the same thing, but, but we are called to be siblings. We are called together as the same family, as the same church, as the same team, to work together in these things. And when you look at this scripture, it actually goes back earlier in chapter one, where what Paul is talking to them about are the joy of having partnerships in the gospel. So when Paul is speaking to the Philippians, he is talking to them about striving together for the gospel, about having joy in these partnerships in the gospel. And what Paul does is at the end of chapter one, he speaks to them about how external opponents, there could be outside circumstances that could come in and try to mess up what God is doing in the church. But then in chapter two, he, he transitions and he begins to talk about internal division. There are two things that could stop the mission of the church. There, there are two things that could kill our joy, our partnership, who we are called to be as a church. It could be outside opponents, outside circumstances, or it could be internal division. Emmaus, here's what I believe. It will not be the government, it will not be the economy, it will not be a virus, it will not most likely be external circumstances or opponents that will cause trouble and division and stop the mission of the church. It will be internal division is what we're going to battle in the days to come. It's easy to blame something out there. It's hard when we have to look in here. If you played sports, if you've been around sports at all, oftentimes a coach will speak to the team and say, don't beat yourself. We're better than that team that we're playing against. Just don't beat yourself. And I think that's what Paul is saying to us here. That's what God is saying to us through his word. Is yeah, there's, there's circumstances that are hard. There are opponents that are out there. But as a church, let's not work against ourselves. Let's, let's not beat ourselves we're being called to something else and so here's what paul tells them in verse three in verse three paul says do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interest of others this week, if you are thinking as a family about studying particular passages of Scripture, if you're thinking as a family about we need to memorize Scripture together, as many of you have been doing the past few weeks, let me point you to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, you might even want to just pick one of those. Maybe just pick verse 3 or just pick verse 4. Uh, kids, thanks for those pictures you sent me last week of how you were writing out Scripture to be able to memorize it at, at home. That was really cool. But this week, I believe that Paul, uh, writing here in, in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, is where God would have us put our focus. As a church, we are being called to unity. In your home, you're being called to unity. In your neighborhood, in your family, in your marriage, God is calling us to unity. How do we get there? Well, Paul says here, do nothing from selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is where you try to promote yourself where you are trying to draw attention to yourself. If you want to know what this looks like, just spend some time on social media. This is the attempt to put my agenda, put my platform, put myself 
first. I'm trying to assert myself, even in doing good things. Paul will use this type of language when people are trying to preach the gospel, but really they're trying to do it for selfish purposes. They're trying to put themselves forward. They're trying to make themselves look good. And that kind of leads into that second word, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That word conceit has to do with this idea of empty glory. Empty glory. That something looks good on the outside, but actually is just empty on the inside. This idea that we would make ourselves look good, that we have a higher view of ourselves than is actually accurate. We promote ourselves, but when you get up close to somebody, you realize, oh man, there's just nothing there. It looks good on the outside, but it's empty on the inside. Paul is saying we cannot live in that way. And this idea of conceit, this idea of empty glory is meant to contrast with the glory of God. The closer you get to God, the greater his substance, the greater his character become. The closer you get to a lot of people, the less character you find, the less substance you find. And so Paul says, don't promote yourself, don't speak about yourself in a way that has this empty glory, but instead, in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. What a great thought that we would seek the good of others, that we would respect others and listen to others and encourage others and put others first. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now this is interesting here because it's not about putting yourself down. So we're not promoting ourselves, but we're also not self-deprecating. Uh, this is a great reminder of that old definition of humility. I've heard humility defined as humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's not putting yourself down. Humility is just thinking of yourself less often, not putting yourself forward. There is a form of self-care that you have to do in order to be able to put other people first. There's a way that we have to take care of ourselves, that we have to make sure. Hey, let me tell you, this is the way we do it in, in my house. So at, at our house, we use that illustration, that analogy of when you're on the airplane and they tell you to put your air mask on first and then help the person beside you. Uh, there are times in parenting, there are times in life that we just say, we've got to eat first in order that we can really care for our kids. And Amanda will look at me and she'll say, I'm just gonna put my air mask on right now, meaning I'm, I'm gonna eat right now. I need to watch my own blood sugar. I need to watch my, my own uh, self-care because if I do that, I'm able to care for others. Paul is not saying here that we always act as the martyr, that we always put ourselves down. He is just saying that if you're gonna have unity in your home, if you're gonna have unity in your church, we have to live in such a way that we are promoting others, that we are putting them first and we're not trying to promote ourselves. The thing that will kill your workplace, the thing that will kill your sports team, the thing that will kill your church is when people are trying to promote themselves, when people are trying to draw attention to themselves. What's the other way of operating though? Look at verse five. When you look at verse five, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Instead of promoting yourself, instead of looking at self, we look to Jesus. Now there's something that I need to point out that's really important from this verse on and, and how this passage works up through verse 11. From this verse on, 
what you have to think about is two sides of a coin. So if this, was, if this is helpful for you, take these next few verses that are famous from verse 5 through verse 11 and think about it as two sides of a coin. One side of the coin is the doctrine piece or what we believe or what Jesus has done for us and done in our lives. It's that piece of the puzzle. The other side is what we might call the ethical. It's the idea of I follow the example of Jesus. The reason that matters is in verse 5 where it says, have this mindset, have this way of living among yourselves, which is yours. It's possible in Christ Jesus. What Paul is laying out for us in these verses is only possible because of what Jesus has done for you. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because he has defeated sin and defeated death. And we put our hope in him. This type of unity is possible. So Paul is saying, your hope is in Jesus. He has done for you what you could never do for yourself. And that's good news. And so it creates unity in the church. And at the same time, he's going to lay out the example of Jesus and say, live in this way. And so there can be confusion, but I want you to see it. it it's, not, it's not in competition. It's two sides of the same coin. This is what Jesus has done for you, and then follow his example. Now, what has Jesus done for you? What, what is his example? Well, look in verse 6. In verse 6, it says, Who, being in the form of God, so we're, we're in this series about who is God? How do I understand God? This is where this passage becomes so powerful and so helpful. Who being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now when it says that Jesus was in the form of God, it's talking about how he shared in the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says he is the radiance, he is the outpouring of the glory of God, and the exact representation of his being. Hebrews 1-3 is a great way to understand what Paul is doing here in Philippians 2 verse 6. That in the form of God, having the glory of God, Jesus though, at the end of the verse, didn't see that. Didn't see his equality with God as something to be grasped. That word at the end of verse 6, grasp, is so important. It's a word that has this idea of trying to hold on to something. Trying to use it for your personal gain. So Jesus, from all eternity, existed in the form of God, had equality with God, and as God, did not seek to hold on to that. Now why is that so important? Because in the ancient world, and let's, let's be honest, not just the ancient world, but the world that we live in, when someone was in a position of power, they would often use that power for their own purposes and their own good and their own comfort. Something that frustrates everybody today is when you see somebody in a position of political power or you see someone in a position of power at your business and they use that power for their own purposes. They use that power to advance what is good for them. Jesus being in the form of God, did not hold on to that equality with God, did not hold on to that, didn't grasp it, didn't use it for his own purpose, but he gave. The character of God is to give. The character of God is to overflow with love and light and life and every good thing. That what we see in these verses is when you think about God, when you think about the Christian God, 
He is not a God who stays far off from us. He is not a God who stays separate from his creation. He is a God who gives. And we see that played out here through the life of Jesus. Look in verse 7. What does Jesus do as he doesn't grasp onto this thing? But verse 7 says he emptied himself. What does it mean to empty himself? Well, you get two phrases in verse 7 to explain that. He took the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men. So being born as fully human, not stopping his role as God, not ceasing to be God, but remaining fully God, he became fully human. This is the miracle of Christmas. This is the message of Christmas. Fully God, fully man. And it says there in the middle of verse 7, this is the key phrase in verse 7, he took the form of a servant. Now remember from verse 6, he had the form of God. He had the appearance, he displayed God's glory. In becoming human, he took on the form of a slave. The powerful thing there is he gave up his rights. We live in a world where people are constantly fighting for their rights, fighting for their privilege. Jesus, who was he as God? He gave up his rights in order to serve others. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And he came in the form of a slave. This reflects, and so many places in these verses reflect Isaiah, especially Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 too, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance, his form, that we should desire him. Let me make just a quick comment about something that might be a, a, a helpful teaching tool at this point. Sometimes, in talking about biblical manhood, talking about what it means to be a man, Jesus will be put forward as example of a manly man. Like, if you're really going to be a follower of Jesus and you're a man, you're going to be a manly man. Can I just tell you, that's not the teaching of Scripture. Now, Jesus was not weak. He was not weak. He came with incredible power and incredible strength. But he came gentle and lowly, he came in the form of a slave, not a stud. He came as a servant. He came as one who was not drawing attention to himself, not promoting himself. He came for what purpose? Verse 8, being found in human form. Verses 6 and 7 coming to fulfillment, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't come just to be an example. Jesus didn't come just to teach. Jesus came to die. He, he came and he died on a cross, taking on our sin, taking on the death that we deserve, dying in our place. He came and he died not as a sign of defeat, but as a sign of victory. Now, we talked earlier in talking with Rashid about this being the time of Ramadan and things that are going on and thinking a little bit about, about Islamic theology at a time like this. You may know that in Islamic theology, Muslims don't believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. This is a key distinction if you're talking with a Muslim person about the differences between Islam and Christianity. In Islamic theology, Jesus didn't die on the cross. Either in some way, God kept him from death and then raised him to heaven, or in a lot of Muslim teaching, it wasn't actually Jesus on the cross. It was someone who looked like him or, or was filling in in his place, so to speak. But let's be really careful here. 
before you say, oh yeah, yeah, Muslims believe that, Muslims believe that, and begin to turn against a group of people, can I be honest with you? There are a lot of people who come from a Christian background who want to have a religion without a cross. Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but let's be honest, there's a lot of really dangerous false forms of Christianity that want to have Jesus without the cross. Forms of Christianity that promote just prosperity, that promote, hey, this is okay, you can have this Christianity thing because you grew up with it as your family and it's good for your business and it's good for your reputation. And we, every one of us, is tempted to want Jesus without the cross. And yet you cannot have that. Jesus came to show us who God is. Jesus came to die for us. And the cross is our hope for unity. The cross is what builds unity. The ground is level at the foot of the cross that none of us come with any good works to bring. None of us come with anything that we can put forward of ourselves. Our only hope is at the cross. And so at the cross, God calls his people to unity. At the cross, God calls his people to victory, not through themselves, but through what Jesus did. That the Christianity is not about Jesus being honored, as it might be the case in some religions. It's about Jesus taking on our shame. And so when we don't follow that example, when we don't follow that pattern, we promote a form of religion that doesn't match up with the good news of the Bible. And so I want to remind you, yes, it might be true that Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross, but be very, very careful about forms of Christianity that teach something close to that because it takes us away from what Jesus has actually done for us. What comes on the other side of the cross? Look in verse 9. In verse 9, all of this shifts. And in verse 9 it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. I love the language there, highly exalted him. So Jesus was not drafted number one in the first round to team God. It's not like he was drafted first. This is the language that says he was in a class by himself. He was the draft. One pick, draft finish. He was highly exalted above all things. All authority in heaven on earth was given to him. He was highly exalted, and God bestowed on him, gave him the name that is above every name. Now, what, what name's being talked about there? Is it the name Jesus? Well, it is true that he received the name Jesus, but in verse 9 here, when it says that he was given the name that is above every name, what's being referred there is the name Lord. The name that was given in the Old Testament as displaying the character of God, Yahweh, I am who I am. This is the name that's being talked about here. Isaiah 42, 8. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I will not give to another. But remember, we have already seen that Jesus for all of eternity existed in the form of God. He shared in the glory of God. And now, after the cross, after the resurrection, when Jesus ascends to this place of all authority, God reveals that this is true about his son, that he has the name that is above every name. And then look at verse 10. Why? What's the purpose of this? Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This hymn here, this psalm in Philippians 2 continues to reflect 
the suffering servant of Isaiah. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, there is no other. And then later in Isaiah 45, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. To me, every knee shall bow. What was said to be true about God in the Old Testament comes to fulfillment through the ministry of Jesus. That he is given the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then look at verse 11. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Worship of Jesus. That Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a good example to follow. That worship of Jesus doesn't diminish the glory of the Father, but actually magnifies it. And through worship of Jesus, we are able to see what it means for God to be Father. For his plan and his glory and his love and his victory to be poured out on the world. But notice there's a key word in here. Verse 11, every tongue confess. What does that mean there? It means that ultimately, at the end of all things, every person will openly confess that Jesus is Lord. Here's the distinction, though. Will you make that confession now as a response of worship to what God has done for you through Jesus? Or will you be forced to do that in eternity as you stand before the Lord in judgment? Let me say to you right now, if you have never confessed that Jesus is Lord, there's going to be a link that's put in the comments. I want you to click that link and I want you to reach out to someone. We want to talk to you about what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord. And you say, I don't want to do that. I'm not ready to do that. Can I just tell you, you will do that. You will do that now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the the day that, that the word of God is open to you, that you're being shown the greatness of God, not any type of religious club, not any type of tradition. This is who God is, and this is what he has done for you, and we are called because of his greatness to confess him. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One day, every person will make that confession. Can I ask you to confess that today? Not to wait, to say that we are going to right now, because of God's power and God's work in our life, we're going to make that confession together and experience the salvation that God provides. Now the question is, if God has provided that kind of salvation, what's that supposed to look like in my life? What, what's that supposed to look like in the church? Well, look at the very next verse, because Paul continues this idea of salvation. He says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Teenagers, I know that you all have been looking at these verses. I'm so glad it worked out that we were able to, to hit this at the same time. But this idea that when we experience the salvation of God, it's not something we just sit on. It's, it's not something that is passive. It impacts the way that we live our life. And we are called to work out, to put into action our salvation. And here's why this is good news for unity in the church. 
It's hard for division to creep into the church when people are actively working out their salvation, when we are putting into action what God has done in us. It's hard for division to come into the church when we are living with fear and trembling before the Lord. It's hard for division to come into the church when we realize that it's actually God's power at work in us and not what any one of us does. It's hard for division to come into the church when we are seeking to do God's will and not to promote our own agenda. We are unified around the good news of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, and we are called to work out that salvation in such a way that displays that unity to the world around us. Now you say, okay, how do we do that, Owen? How can I show people the good news of Jesus? How, how can I display that unity? I'm glad you asked. Look at verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Can I ask you, has there been any grumbling or arguing or complaining in your home over the last few weeks? Yeah, I, I, know, I know I've been guilty of some of that grumbling and complaining and arguing probably in my own home over the last few weeks. If we are unified around the good news of Jesus, if we understand what it means to confess Jesus as Lord, as we understand what it means to work out our salvation, do you know one of the simplest, best ways we can do that? Just don't grumble and complain and stir up arguments. Now these words here where it says don't do all things without grumbling or complaining, all things without grumbling or, or stirring up arguments, it's both grumbling against God and against one another. Hear me out on this. If we want to shine the light of Jesus into the world right now in the time that we live, it will come through how we communicate, how we speak, how we speak to one another, and how we speak about things that are going on in the world. In a world that is so divided and is becoming more divided by political borders and the way we talk about other nations, if you want to shine the light of Jesus into the world, it will come through in how you speak about the work of God in the world and how you speak to and about other people. Emmaus, let us not be known as people who grumble or complain or stir up arguments. We want to be known as people who proclaim and display Jesus. We want to do that together. Look at verse 16. We're going to hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We're unified around the word of Christ. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out, Paul says, as a drink offering, even if this is going to cost me my life, upon, I'm going to be poured out upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, the, the living out sacrificing of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, I know the wording there in 17 and 18 is a little bit tricky to understand. What Paul is talking about is he is saying, as followers of Jesus who work out our salvation, we work it out by sacrificing for others, by serving those around us and doing it in a joyful way. Emmaus, we want to be unified 
around the fact that we are going to sacrifice ourselves, we are going to give of ourselves, we are going to serve others, and we're gonna find our joy in doing that. You know this and I know this. We don't find joy in life by hoarding things and keeping them for ourselves. We find joy in life when we sacrifice for the good of others, when we serve those around us. And Paul says, I'm gonna give my life for that, and I hope you'll give your life for that too. That as a church, we would be known for our unity in saying, what I have is not mine to begin with, and so I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna make it available for the spread of the gospel. In your marriage, in your home, if you're having difficulty and disunity, Sometimes it's because we get caught up in this 50-50 thing. I'll do my part, you do your part, and we're always trying to hold on to what's ours. Scripture says if you want to have unity, if you want to have joy, it, it comes when we sacrifice that, when, when we pour that out. Let me point us to a final slide here about response. What are we being called to do from God's word this morning? Remember Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Doesn't matter if you're a little kid watching this at home, if you're watching it on the road somewhere, if you're sitting at home and you're dealing with anxiety and isolation and uncertainty about your own faith, the most important thing you can hear this morning is the good news of Jesus. That he gave of himself, that he died on the cross for our sins and our place, that he defeated death, and that he reigns over all the universe. And one day, every person will confess him as Lord. The question is, will you do that today? And as a church, that we would be unified around these things, that we would be unified around confessing Jesus as Lord, as focusing on him, giving our lives for that, that we would be unified together, that if someone, like I walked into that mosque years and years ago, that someone would walk into our church this summer on the other side of this quarantine, would they find a divided group of people? Or would they find a group of people who humbly love and serve one another? Now, over the last few weeks, if you're like me, you've probably received some emails uh, where a random hotel company that you stayed at their hotel five years ago, they sent you an email and said, hey, just want you to know we're all in this together. Uh, we, we've been getting these type of emails like, hey, just want you to know we're all in this together. I want you to know this morning that we are all in this together. Not because of a cheesy email that somebody might send out, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Emmaus, if we are going to be unified in the days ahead, if we are going to live out the gospel, if we are going to strengthen the church and advance the gospel, it's going to happen because we love God together, we love one another, and we share the love of Jesus. We shine as lights in the world. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. And I pray that God would lead us to do that in the weeks to come. Let me pray for us, and we're going to wrap up for today. Father, I pray for unity. God, I pray for unity in the church. I fear that, not, not our church in particular, but we are moving into a time where it's gonna be so easy for disunity and division to creep up. God, we already live in a divided world. We already live in divided workplaces and homes. We deal with division in our own hearts and minds where we have uncertainty and doubts. But God, we believe the hope for unity, the hope for life is found through Jesus. 
God, I pray that in the days to come that Emmaus would be known as a place not where we grumble or complain or stir up arguments, but God, we would be known as a place where we humbly live out the good news of Jesus. That we would proclaim and display Jesus in our neighborhoods and to all nations. And we would do that so that you would receive glory. God, we pray, not to us, oh God, not to us, but to your name be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, Emmaus. I love you, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. God bless you.